Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I appreciate you connecting every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you for taking the time to follow this podcast. And if you're brand new to this podcast, I hope and pray that it exceeds your expectations. You will find that most of these episodes will incorporate three basic elements, psychology, spirituality, and theology. My goal is that you would listen to each episode and that by the end of it, you would have more clarity, a better understanding about whatever's going on in your life, that you would know what the next step to take is, that you would be able to break free from paradigms, mindsets, uh, frames of mind, strongholds, Uh, mental constructs and start to edify better ones that will lead you onto a destination that is so much more profitable than the one you're on today. Today's episode is about trials, the trials we go through in life and how God uses those trials as a refining fire to make us stronger and more resilient. The clip you're about to hear is from the movie Unbroken, based on the life of Louis Zamperini. It is a short clip, however, it does depict one of the violent scenes in the movie. If you are sensitive to this type of uh, scene, turn the volume down, or if you are with uh, children, turn it down or just skip through it. It is necessary to have respect. No respect, no order. This man must be taught respect. All other prisoners will teach him this lesson. Each prisoner will punch this man in his face. Miguel! Miguel! Next! 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 The movie Unbroken is based on the true story of Louis Zamperini, as I mentioned earlier. He was an Olympic runner who served in the U.S. Air Force during World War II. While he was on a mission over the Pacific Ocean in 1943, his plane went down. What follows is an account of human struggle and survival in the face of seemingly unsurmountable odds. He spent 47 days adrift under the equatorial sun in the ocean until he was captured by the Japanese Navy, which would take him into a POW camp. At that camp, he would become the target of the most cruel of all commanders. He's the one that you can hear in the movie commanding all the other prisoners, which were lined up by the hundreds, to punch Louis Zamperini in the face to teach him respect. I'm not about to cite every one of the scenes and the gruesome events that took place during his time at the POW camp. Uh, If you can muster the strength, I would uh, encourage you to watch the movie. It is a great uh, example of resilience and determination and perseverance in the face of trials. Zamborini's war didn't end when he left the POW camp. Actually, the war followed him all the way back home to California as he came home with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. The nightmares were every night, he said. He couldn't get rid of them. 
time wasn't healing his wounds. You see, it was it was just making them worse. And one night, Zamperini dreamed that he was strangling the commander that had tortured him so much. But instead, he woke up strangling his wife. He was so scared and desperate that he started drinking to forget about the horrors that plagued his mind. Louis Zamperini's wife, Cynthia, had had enough, and she threatened to file for divorce. This, of course, would make matters worse for Louis Zamperini. A concerned neighbor invited Cynthia to the Billy Graham crusade taking place in Los Angeles in a tent. It was called the Canvas Cathedral. She accepted the invitation and then she accepted Christ that evening. Her husband wanted no part of Christianity, but his heart softened, you see, when Cynthia said that she no longer wanted to divorce him. After storming out of the tent the very first night, Zamperini amazingly returned for one more evening. That time, the Bible verses that Billy Graham quoted went straight to Zamperini's heart. They went right down into the marrow. All of my near-death experiences, my life never passed before my eyes, he said. But when Billy Graham quoted scripture, my life did pass before my eyes. For the first time in years, Zamperini remembered the promise that he had made to God when he was floating in the South Pacific. That night in L.A., Zamperini went forward and accepted Christ as a Lord and Savior, and the biggest miracle of his life was set into motion. I knew I was through getting drunk, Zamperini said. I knew I was through smoking, and I knew I'd forgiven all my guards, including that commander. It never dawned on me again that I hated that guy. That was the first night in all those years. I'd never had a nightmare ever again. And I haven't There's had one since. Zamperini's transformation was what so all-encompassing. He returned to Japan. Yes, he returned to Japan to God share the changed. gospel with hundreds of Japanese he troops he once hated. This time, they were the ones behind the bars, imprisoned for war crimes. Zamperini watched as many not. of them accepted Christ. He went on to share his faith around the world, speaking at several Billy Graham guilty. crusades and cultivating a friendship with Billy Graham. God's holy requirements. And we're all sinners, and we're all in need of the grace and mercy of God. And that's why the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross. He died for your sins. He died for mine. And God took your sins and laid them on Christ. God changes not. Isn't it amazing to see how a trial of this nature, as difficult as it was for Louis Zamperini, became part of a refining process that made him the person that he became. Now, God allows us to go through these processes in our lives. Now, now understand, he allows us. I didn't say that he orchestrates these things or that he causes them to happen. But what I'm saying is that he will allow us to go through them, but at the same time, he will use them to our benefit. So keep in mind that in order to process a fine metal, in order to reveal its true value and its beauty, uh, heat needs to be applied. The metal needs to be submitted to intense heat. Actually, a goldsmith will take the ore, the gold, and will put it in a crucible, which is somewhat of a clay pot that uh, is able to resist intense heat. And what they do is they apply heat to the gold until it starts melting. And at the point of melting, it starts boiling. And what it does is that the impurities start to rise to the top. And as they rise to the top, the goldsmith will skim those impurities out of the gold uh, continuously, 
continuously. And a goldsmith was once asked, when do you know that the gold is ready to be to be used uh, for precious jewelry? Uh, when do you know the time that you need to stop skimming the impurities off the top? And the goldsmith replied to this person, he said, the moment that I'm able to see my reflection in the gold crystal clear, when it's almost like a mirror, when it's that pure, when it's that clear, that's when I know that the gold is ready. This is what I call a refining process. Just as I mentioned earlier, God is a refining fire. God will allow us to go through a refining process to reveal our inner beauty, to reveal our resilience and our faith. So, Think about it from this perspective. We go through a crucible. We go through the heat in our lives, just as I mentioned, that God allows us to go through. And so when does he know that we are ready? Because the heat keeps on getting more and more intense. And if you are listening to this podcast right now in August of 2020, you know that things have not been easy lately. You know that this pandemic, this pandemonium, this fear, this losing loved ones left and right, seeing people pass away, seeing the hardships that many are going through, or perhaps you yourself are going through right now. And I'm not only talking about health reasons, I'm talking about People losing their marriages, losing their children, children rebelling. I mean, so many different crucibles that people are going through today. And God can still use all of those situations in your life as part of a refining process. And so the question you're probably asking is, when will all of this stop? When will it end? And when will the refiner know that I am ready? Well, just as the goldsmith said, he said, I know the gold is ready when my face is reflected on the surface of the gold. And so when does God know that we are ready? Well, it's very simple. When Christ Jesus is reflected in everything that we do, when his character is so evident in us, when there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I recall running the New York City Marathon a few years ago. The race started on Staten Island, and we crossed over the Verrazano Bridge and uh, ran through five different boroughs before getting to Central Park and running a few laps around Central Park before completing the race. But I'll never forget how difficult that was. That was my very first full marathon, 26.2 miles. I was running in 36 degrees. It was freezing. It was cold, to say the least. I mean, I was not used to that type of temperature, especially uh, li- after living so many years in South Texas. And so there I was on the 26th mile, 26th. In other words, I was 0.2 miles away from the glorious finish line, but it seemed so <laughs> far away, you know, as I looked at it. The multitude, people everywhere. It was estimated that there were 1 million spectators along the way. 
And as I was 0.2 miles away from the finish line, I'll never forget there was a man on the side of the route. He was standing there in a big heavy winter jacket. He was wearing a Dunkin' Donuts beanie. He was holding a Dunkin' Donuts coffee and eating a Dunkin' Donuts donut. Now, this is not a commercial for Dunkin' Donuts, but he was standing there as he was eating, biting into his donut, and he looks at me. Of course, he probably noticed that I was suffering. I was hurting. I was I was soon to collapse. And he looked at me and he said, finish strong. Come on, man, you can finish strong. <laughs> I'll never forget. I wanted to turn around and punch him in the face. I'm serious. I thought, seriously, you have no idea what I'm feeling right now, and you're encouraging me while eating a donut. <laughs> it was such an amazing experience. It was definitely a process, and it was a process through which I learned so many lessons. It's so easy to give up in the process of running a marathon. A lot of stuff goes on in your mind, in your heart, in your body. There's actually something called the runner's wall that happens somewhere around the 18th mile where your whole mind, your psyche is affected to the point where you feel like giving up, and a lot of people do. As many others, I felt uh, the need to abort the process, but I kept on, I kept on telling myself, I can't abort the process because if I abort the process... I end up not completing it. And if I abort the process, I forfeit the blessing. Listen to me. This is powerful stuff. Now, if you take anything from this episode, take this. If you abort the process, you forfeit the blessing. I heard a story of this young man. He must have been a fourth grader. He was in elementary school and he was in his science class. And the teacher was uh, teaching a lesson on metamorphosis. She was explaining each one of the the phases in the metamorphic uh, transformation of a caterpillar. And of course, if you recall your elementary years, you remember that lesson of how the caterpillar that is somewhat not very pleasing to the sight uh, goes into different phases, eventually cocooning itself and emerging from the cocoon, a beautiful, majestic, colorful butterfly. And so this young man was intrigued and he was mesmerized by the imagery and the videos that the teacher was showing. And so when he came home, he ran straight into his backyard. Now, he had a beautiful backyard that his mother had cultivated, all kinds of plants and beautiful trees. And so he went over to a tree and he started to, of course, look for any evidence of, of uh, caterpillars or cocoons or butterflies. And right there, hanging from one of the lowest uh, limbs on one of the trees was a cocoon. Now, the cocoon wasn't empty. It actually still had the caterpillar that was going through the transformation stage. And he watched it wiggle inside the cocoon. He watched this this butterfly uh, try to force itself out of the cocoon. And he stood there for half an hour to the point where the young man felt so much compassion He felt bad for this butterfly that was not able to free itself from its captivity, from the cocoon. 
So he ran into his house very quickly. He went into the bathroom, opened up the medicine cabinet, and pulled out a pair of tweezers. He ran back out into the backyard again, found the cocoon, and very gently, very gently, he pried open the cocoon with his tweezers, allowing the butterfly to slowly free itself Upon emerging from the cocoon, the butterfly perched itself on the limb, and only a few seconds later did the young man observe how its wings shriveled up and the butterfly collapsed to the ground and died. The young man watched all of this happen in horror. He felt terribly about it. He blamed himself, but the next day he went to class and he asked the science teacher what had happened. She said, you know what, Johnny, I I believe that I failed to mention a very important detail about the process that butterflies go through. She said, you see, when it is in its cocoon, the butterfly needs to struggle to free itself. The butterfly needs to force itself out. It needs to go through this painful process because it is in the process of this pain. It is in the process of the struggle. It is in this process through which the butterfly's wings are strengthened and are fully developed to do what God has called it to do, which is fly. But because you aborted its process, you interrupted its process, the butterfly's wings did not fully develop and therefore they shriveled and it died. So what's the moral of the story? Well, it's simple. I mentioned it a while ago. If you abort the process, you forfeit the blessing. Let me ask you, what does your cocoon look like? What is your greatest struggle? What are you trying to push through? What are you trying to overcome? Endure the process. Endure it with a smile. Endure it with great resilience. And you will see yourself come out stronger than ever before. And you will inherit the blessing. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, He has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that verse because it kind of speaks of the metamorphic stages that the butterfly goes through from uh, being a caterpillar and becoming this beautiful butterfly. I believe that God speaks to us through this verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, right now you may not see the beauty of your life. You may not see the beauty that is going to come through the process, but I want you to please understand this. As long as you're holding on to his hand, as long as you are trusting and you're persevering, knowing that you're not doing this or going through this alone, but you're going through this in his power, he will make everything beautiful in its time. And let me just uh, let me just make sure that you understand this. I'm not downplaying trials. I'm not downplaying your suffering. I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I want to say this. Trials suck. (laughs) They really do. I mean, let's be honest. Who likes going through trials? Nobody does. But it's through the trials, through the suffering that we develop this hunger and this thirst for more of God. We, we develop a resilience. Our faith is strengthened. I'm, I mean, I love the story of Job in the Bible. It's a very long. It's 40 plus chapters, very dense. But some of you probably know his story. You know, God allowed the, the devil to, to take things away from Job. And Job lost his family. Job lost his possessions, his cattle. He lost 
everything that he had. He just didn't lose his life, but he he ended up in the desert with a piece of clay pot scratching the boils on his body while his own friends, you know, criticized him. The only person left from his family was his wife, and she went over to him. And notice how Job was still worshiping God in the midst of the hell he was going through. And she looks at him and she says, curse your God and die. I mean, he went through severe trials. But but one of the things that I'm just captivated by, one of the things that he said was so powerful, Job said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He was referring to God. He was saying, I've heard about you, God. People have told me about you, God. But now, now that I've gone through what I've been through or what I'm in, I have experienced you with my own eyes. And then he goes on to say this, and I love this because it speaks about the tests. He says, and when I have been tested, in other words, when this is all over, when this is all done, when he says, when I have been tested, I will come forth as pure as gold. Powerful. Job understood the power of the refiner's fire. He understood that there was a purpose and a plan behind it. He understood that he could only emerge better. Now, let me say this about trials. Trials are experienced by everyone. No one escapes the trial. Some people are going into a trial. Some people are in the middle of a trial. Others are coming out of a trial, but you can't escape the trial. Trials have a divine purpose. There's a plan behind the trial. Trials last only for a while. They're not forever. So stand firm, be strong. Trials are controlled by God. The Bible says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, trials come with God's grace for endurance. If you recall Paul, the great apostle, when he was complaining, he was asking God, when are you going to remove this thorn that's in my flesh? This messenger from Satan, as he referred to it. Now, nobody really knows what that thorn in the flesh was. Theologians have their own ideas, but there is no clarity as to what it was. And we, we remember what God replies to Paul as he's complaining, as he's crying out, as he's saying, hey, I've asked you to remove it and you've done nothing. And God says this, and it's powerful. And I'm reminded of this constantly. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, grace is unmerited favor. It's that thing that we don't deserve, but we yet we get. He says, my grace is sufficient, Paul. Stop trying to fight this thing on your own. Put your hands down. Get into a position of believing. Let me fight this for you because when you are weak, my strength is made perfect in you. And then Paul understands and he says, okay, Lord, I will be weak so that you may be made strong in me. And last but not least, trials strengthen you in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, I delight in weaknesses, 
in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, (laughs) I am strong. So you're probably asking yourself, do all individuals come out stronger after a trial, after a test, after a process? The answer is no. No. Some people come out bitter. Some people come out enraged. Some people just fight the flames of the crucible. They don't want to go through the process and they try to find a way to abort it. So why do people fight the crucible? That's the big question. Well, the characteristics of those who fight the crucible, who don't want to go through the process, these are people who have destructive anger, depleted energy. They're drained of their emotions. They're, they have diminished joy. They have a depressed outlook on life. They, they have damaging accusations against them, decreased interests. Their self-worth is deteriorated. They desire to escape. They distrust other people. They doubt God. They're distracted from their priorities. And their spiritual sensitivity has been dulled. These individuals will have a hard time finding the blessing within the trial. If you become so focused on the process and the pain, it will create within you a bitterness that you will struggle to let go of. And your history will then determine your destiny. But those who are able to gain profit, receive blessing, learn and grow from the process are those that are able to look ahead and not look behind. I've said this so many times, no one ever drove a car to a destination while looking through the rearview mirror, unless, of course, they were going in reverse. A perfect example of not focusing on the actual process and the things of yesterday is Nelson Mandela. When he arrived on Robben Island that rainy, frigid morning in July 1964, it fast became clear to the prison officials that Mandela commanded great respect among the inmates. I mean, he was a natural-born leader. He was followed and revered by many. And so as a consequence, those officials, they singled him out. They punished him, and they made it a point to constantly humiliate him. Other prisoners would later describe how a few years into his imprisonment, into his incarceration, the guards and the officials would order him to dig a trench and to climb into it. It was a grave-shaped trench that was located right in the middle of the prison yard where everyone could see. Mandela must have wondered at that point if that was the end. But then, as he laid in the dirt, they unzipped their trousers and they urinated all over him. Keep in mind that Mandela was close to 30 years unjustly incarcerated in that prison, and that during those years, he was treated like scum. Man, talk about a process. He went through all sorts of trials, mental and physical. But you know what? I remember one of his quotes where he he stated that he never became a prisoner, although his body was imprisoned. He said that his mind and his spirit were always free. Wow, now that's powerful. Now, you know the story. After 27 years, Mandela is liberated He continues to have a following. He is a trusted leader. He takes South Africa from a place of oppression to a place of liberation. 
the evening of his presidential inauguration, he had hundreds of guests. These were important people to Mandela. But there was one man who was seated on the front row, on the left-hand side corner. And Mandela's aide came to him and he said, Sir, I don't recognize the gentleman that's seated over there in the front. He pointed him out, that particular person. He says, I don't know if I have him on the list. Mandela replied, I personally invited him. He said, who is he, sir? Mandela replied, he's one of the jailers, one of the ones that tortured me and humiliated me. The aide asked him, why would you have him join you for such an event if this man tortured you? Mandela said, yes, but he no longer does. I have chosen to forgive him. Wow. (laughs) Chew on that for a bit. Man, that is a powerful statement. He no longer tortures me because I've chosen, listen, it's a choice. I've chosen to forgive him. If Mandela would have become so engrossed in what happened to him and how he was treated and, and how he was afflicted and humiliated, he would have missed the point. He would have missed the point. He would have grown bitter instead of better. He would have been filled with resentment versus being able to see the blessing within the process. Over time, people have asked me, does God really care about my suffering? Does it really matter to him? Well, let me tell you, not only does he care for you, he loves you deeply, cares for you greatly. He understands your suffering. His word, his word is proof. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I mean, come on, I can keep going. There is proof of how God cares for you and how he loves you and how he sustains you in the palm of your hand. David the psalmist wrote, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let me encourage you today as I I close this episode. Let me encourage you. Start, Start to envision your trials, your circumstances, those tests that you're going through in life, start to envision them as opportunities, as platforms, as a catapult to greater things, and not as a setback, not as punishment or your lot in life. You have got to change the way that you see life's trials. You have got to be able to see them as an opportunity to grow yourself. You have got to see them as an opportunity to come out stronger, more resilient, an opportunity for your character to be exposed and to the beauty that is within you to come to revelation. It is an opportunity. Stop declaring that life is not fair, that you don't deserve this much heartache and disappointment. There are no accidents in life, my friend. Since God is sovereign over every situation in the life of a believer, you should see your disappointment as God's appointment to build Christ-like character in you. And know that at the end of this temporary trial, 
you, my friend, will emerge as pure as gold. Well, I hope that this episode resonated with you. I know that 99.5% of all of you listening today are going through some kind of trial. I hope and I pray that this episode has brought clarity to your mind and to your heart, and it has encouraged you to press on and to understand that it's just a test and that you're about to pass it. (laughs) If you have enjoyed this episode, would you drop us a comment, a positive comment? I would love to read it. I'm encouraged by them. And also give us a five-star rating and, uh, of course, subscribe to uh, this podcast. It would really honor me that you would be a weekly subscriber. God bless you guys. I love you in Christ.